we now have, again, some time for questions and for discussion. Uh, Helen Wirral is first. Uh, Cyril Chancellor, UCL Partners. Some of this, of course, isn't new. Uh, 26 years ago, I worked at a hospital in South London, which was faced with taking 15% of its expenditure out over three years. And the doctors met three times, the consultants, and debated the issue as to whether we had to take responsibility, at least in part, for the efficiency of the hospital and its expenditure, in other words, to accept budgets and manage them. And the debate really centered on what was best for our patients. And the notion was that in a cash-limited healthcare system, which is every public healthcare system in the whole world, profligacy in the care of one patient is denial of adequate care for another. And therefore, it became an ethical responsibility on behalf of doctors to play their part in the proper use of resources. And so we took that responsibility and the savings were delivered without, I think, the evidence shows any deterioration in the quality of patient care. But of course, that is part of professionalism. And the conscience of the doctor and her intention to make sure that she always places the needs of her patient at a higher level than the mere con contract that she has with the health service is crucial to this. You need to have openness, transparency. People need to know what's going on and they need to understand it. And I don't think there's any way of doctors, be they general practitioners or specialists, of avoiding their responsibility for the allocation of resource. Ian Wiley, Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And I think um, Stephen Doyle is absolutely right to ask what the Royal Colleges are doing in terms of stepping up and delivering quality and efficiency. But I would hate anybody to have the impression that they're not doing anything. Our Royal College is the National Collaborating Centre for Women uh, and Children's Health with NICE. We set the standards. And I think with setting standards, as Baroness Cumberlege says, comes an enormous privilege of professions because with that comes an, an enormous responsibility. However, the Nicholson challenge of, of efficiency savings really means that we're going to have to take capacity out of the NHS. And that actually means closing units and closing hospitals. If we set the standards for maternity services, which we do, and we say that there are various maternity provisions through the country which actually should not be open because they don't qualify for those standards, where is that going to leave patient choice? Where is that going to leave patients actually wanting, rightly, to support um, popular local provision which actually does not meet the, the clinical standards that um, our colleges in terms of delivering efficiency and effectiveness and quality say have got to close for that reason. And, and I think that's a, a, a challenge for Angela's perspective with, with patient choice, but I think it's also a challenge for Stephen Doral when his local hospital is the one that's going to have to close and he's coming up to a 2015 election. And I'd be very interested to know whether you're involving, your college is involving patients in, in the kind of decisions about standards. But I think that you are going to have to also do a, a big educational job because if the colleges are going to withdraw training approval, which is what often happens if, if uh, services are substandard and they immediately run up against 
public outcry because people know and love these maternity hospitals that have been there forever. Just accepting that there's going to be conflict isn't enough. You have to explain to people, and I think, uh, including MPs, who often are the first people who really find this really difficult to grasp, but we do have to treat people as grown-ups and explain much more. And I come back really to my point that if we continue to have a, a system that is as paternalistic as the NHS has been, and indeed quite a bit of evidence that it's more paternalistic than many other healthcare systems, then we can never hope to get people to engage in these kinds of difficult decisions. We have to treat them like grown-ups. We have to have transparent information and open public debate and explain that there are variations in secondary care as well as a primary care that have to be addressed. But just if I can say one more thing about variation and postcode lottery. The NHS, of course, is based on the principle of fairness and access according to need. And that's often interpreted as we must have the same everywhere. But in fact, if you look at what is needed in different areas, if you look at what people want in different areas, they do vary. And so we have to think about variation, and there's variation in access, there's variation in utilization, there's variation in quality, and we don't want variation in quality, but variation in access to treatment may be justifiable. Uh, the helpful way of looking at it is looking at warranted and unwarranted variation. Unwarranted variation is uh, what a colleague of mine, Al Mali, talks about as uh, acting uh, in the face of avoidable ig ignorance. In other words, not following the quality standards, the evidence-based practice. That's the bad kind of variation that we want to eliminate. But variation that arises because you have taken account of patients' preferences and you've responded to them and responded to different local needs is perfectly okay. That is warranted variation. So, uh, and there may be a case, therefore, for the postcode lot lottery, although that's a very unhelpful label for it. But access, the, the question of whether our local maternity hospital should be saved at all costs, even if it's low quality, is something that some PCPs, for example, have been able to engage the public in and have be been able to have a good debate about the trade-off between access and quality. That's the way we have to go. In, you know, in London, there's been the progress on stroke services. Yeah. And I think the uh, initiative there was one of the winners of the Health Service Journal Award, getting better outcomes by concentrating stroke services in fewer centres and that's probably what we need more of. It's a really good example, isn't it, of therefore choice and local access becomes more difficult because of the trade-off with quality and access. There's lots of people who want to come in. So Robert at the back I'll bring in first, then Polly, and then we'll move down the aisle here with a couple of other colleagues. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Robert Crichton, a humble commissioner, chief executive of NHS Ealing, NHS Hillingdon, and NHS Hounslow in a new cluster. And I just wanted to observe a number of points about this concept commissioning, because I'm never very certain that people understand what it is. Claire says that she's had commissioning done to her. That feels very alien to me. One of the things that uh, we try to do is properly to understand all the different features of our population and the people who work in it and the needs uh, of various kinds. And the big challenge I face at the moment is how to do more with less. So we are uh, passing on potentially this new commissioning regime 
into whatever the new structure is going to be with at least 50% fewer people working in commissioning than are c have been working so far. In which case, the idea that one can go and do it more sophisticatedly, which is what uh, Angela is proposing, which I absolutely endorse, we need to be far more sophisticated about it, but I feel very sorry for the poor consortia who don't have to pick this up uh, and have to do this very sophisticated activity with infinitely fewer people. Uh, and I'm just wondering whether people can throw any light on that paradox. Okay. Thank you. Polly Toynbee, The Guardian. Slight air of, of unreality, I feel, is entering this conversation. I think where Stephen Dorrell began is perhaps where we should also go back to a bit. And he pointed out that the cuts the NHS face now are unlike anything that any health service has ever experienced. You know, this 4% compound year after year, and he did start off, you know, we're sort of talking rather casually about the Nicholson challenge. But what's actually happening now is PCPs are sending out the lists of treatments that they won't provide, uh, the instructions to GPs not to send anybody for cold surgery. This is just the very beginning. And it seems to me we're talking in a rather abstract theoretical way about something, um, I mean, am I wrong about this? What are, what are people feeling already on the ground that is going to be quite extraordinary and really alarming for the health service? Yeah, I wanted to pick up the theme of patient power for the Department of Health. And I think in your papers, Chris, and the Big Society picked it up very well. It picks up the sort of power balance. At a National Voices conference I went to recently, the, the, there was a member there who said, actually, is this about patients, professionals getting off their pedestals or patients getting off their knees? And I guess I'd like to ask you about the balance between that, because you've talked a lot about professionals giving. We haven't talked a lot about patients taking. And I'd like to know what you think about the balance between that, because the work that we do with patient organisations certainly suggests that actually when they are part of a mature discussion, they can be leaders and advocates for this in a way that professionals can't be sometimes. And I'd be interested in how you view that balance. Okay. Hello, I'm Kevin Tonard. I'm the Operations Director for Richmond Fellowship, which is a mental health organisation that's national. I want to believe that I'm having real trouble and I just wondered if people could help me. There's a part of me, if you like, the logical part says, accept what we've got and work with it. There's another part of me, here's messages, which are about accept evidence-based tactics. And when I listen to Stephen Dorrell, my question for him, had he not left early, would be, can you tell me anywhere where the people who are part of delivering the service are also part of commissioning it, where the evidence shows that it works well? Because one of the issues that I've got as a national organisation is that I work with about 70 PCTs across the country. Some of them, quite frankly, are awful. But some of them are really good. What I hear is that what we have to do elsewhere, and I hear it in schools and I hear it elsewhere, is we've got to get the best. We've got to get the worst as good as the best. So if you said, what do you do about making the current commissioning system work? What we do is we get the PCTs that aren't working very well to work better. We get them to involve patients, both individually and locally. And I can get, if you like, my logical mind around that as something that I can do. What I'm struggling with is I'm being asked to accept a system that isn't proven, as far as I can see, and go along with it. And the only logic I can buy into, that makes me buy into it, is that's what we've got. We've got to work with it. I'd be quite interested to hear, I'm particularly interested in knowing whether there is an evidence base anywhere else that shows that commissioning of services can be done by the people who deliver those services. On, on the challenge that Polly's thrown down for us, uh, is there an air of unreality? In. Do you want to speak to this particular point, the lady in the middle there? 
Elizabeth Crafe, I'm Director of Positively UK HIV organisation, but I'm also a member of the Women's Health and Equalities Consortium, strategic partner to the Department of Health. Working on the ground with people with HIV and patient participation, we're hugely committed to this. It is a very difficult area in a condition area that, that is uh, marginalised and stigmatised as mental health is. If you think about getting people who use sexual health services into representational groups, the syphilis support group really doesn't exist. People go to the clinic, they get their drugs, they go. Great. But to improve the clinic, we need to get some kind of rapport. HIV being a long-term condition, it's, it's, uh, it's an easier job to do this. Um, but it is still very, very difficult to get people who have a long-term condition that is stigmatized to participate at the level that is going to make a change and is going to get services delivered for them. They will be marginalized and services in these areas will be cut. Well, I think there, I mean, and Chris, you probably know the evidence better than I, but there is evidence, I think, that engaging clinicians more in commissioning or in shaping services actually is a good way, to, it's the right direction to go. So I don't have any quarrel with that. I think we could have done it much more easily. I think we could have evolved the PCPs into, you know, just got them to involve more clinicians and GPs in particular. I think there's also evidence that a more integrated way of working is not only better for patients, but also potentially will save money. I'm a non-executive director of an acute trust, an orthopedic trust, just the kind of organization that the Nicholson Challenge would suggest has got to stop doing mm. as much work as it's currently doing. We are overperforming, not because the clinicians in, the, in my trust want to, but because GPs are referring more patients than the PCP wants them to and has, has paid for them. PCP is actually not in control of GPs' decisions about who should have a hip replacement or a knee replacement, whatever. GPs see the patient in front of them, reckon that they, they need it, and refer them. Uh, all sorts of attempts to turn people away because they're not, they haven't reached the threshold are not working very well at the moment. So we already have this problem, and this problem is definitely going to get worse. But when you actually get the clinicians together, and especially when you get them together with patients, actually they can come up with better and more efficient ways of doing this. Integrated care pathways for people with osteoarthritis could actually deliver more value at less cost. It's just that the way the system's currently configured doesn't allow for that. Now, what worries me is that, is that GP commissioning will, you know, we're going to go into a time of extreme financial pressure. We're going to go into a sort of two, three-year period while the commissioning consortia are setting themselves up, the PCPs are falling apart, hopefully not yours, Robert. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the cost control is going to be lost. So then we're going to have an even bigger problem in three years' time uh, without necessarily a guarantee of a plan on how to meet it. So back to you, Robert. Let's put you on the spot since you asked the question. Yeah, in your bit of northwest London, yeah. Yeah, are things in meltdown, if I can use that phrase, around the services this, and the finances? Uh, uh, th this is going to be, this could be a bloody awful train crash. I'm not saying it will, but I think there are all the makings of a very, very severe collapse in the system. And that's not, not because of anybody's ill will or Ill intent at all. It is because of exactly as what, of what Angela has just said, that the systems at the moment, for all of us, are spending our time 
looking inwards, thinking about organisations, thinking about making appointments. I've just been appointed, having been Chief Executive of NHS Ealing, to run NHS Hillingdon and NHS Hounslow. I've got to completely clear out my top management team and make a whole set of new appointments. I spent 13 hours yesterday in interviews. I'm spending another six hours today, another eight hours tomorrow, and so on. In all that time, I am not spending a moment thinking about patient care or money or anything else. I've then got to go through the process of enabling all my directors to make their appointments by the end of January, February of the new tier in the new hugely strimmed down organization, 50% fewer people than there were uh, a, a month ago. And it will be very, very difficult during this period to keep everybody's minds focused on the task in hand, which is to uh, generate those innovative ideas that will make life different and better. I completely agree with Claire, uh, and with everybody really, this is a, this is, this must be, must be working together. We can only do this if we work together, and there are all sorts of really good examples of patients, GPs, and PCT staff working really well together, but we are at risk of blowing it, seriously. Uh, and, you know, give it put in my personal context. I sometimes I feel I'm only doing what I'm doing because of a sense of public duty. I'm serious here. What is the point in me doing this? Because in two years' time, I shall be out of a job, and I will probably be shown to have failed in what I've been doing. And in fact, the government is currently saying that everything that I have done for the last eight years as a PCT chief executive has been bad, poor, unsuccessful, and should be destroyed. What is the sense of saying that to me and to all the people who are trying to hold this system together? It completely defies my understanding. Okay, so one final comment. Peter, go Peter Dixon, uh, Chair of OPM, previously of UCLH. Um, if that's what Robert says as a senior, ex-senior civil servant on the record, um, I, I think we, we should find out afterwards what, what he says off the record. It could be worthwhile. Two very quick things. First of all, rationing is starting to happen. Um, we all know that. I'm picking up anecdotes from all over the place yep. of treatment thresholds getting varied. I don't know if there's a conspiracy to keep it quiet or what, but it is starting to happen. The only way we can take serious cost out of this system, once we've got rid of the useless bureaucrats like Robert, is to take out things that patients need, probably. We are going to have to ration something, so let's get real about it. The sooner we get real about it and do it openly, I think the better the chance. Second thing is just a quick comment on Royal Colleges. Uh, I've been involved with the health service, uh, I'm not at the moment, so I'm free and clear. I have no biases for 12 years, 14 years, I beg your pardon. In all that time, I have not seen one recommendation coming out of a Royal College highly desirable as they all might be, that is going to save me money. Um, whenever you see a recommendation from the Royal Colleges about standards, it does turn into employing more consultants, more GPs. I regret to say that needs to change. I think, although we've, we've become rather pessimistic, I actually think that there are real opportunities now. Um, I think that these kinds of discussions are happening up and down the country. Um, I'm hopeful that they're going to happen publicly so that the public understands what's going on, so the public actually can be motivated to get engaged. The, the, the patients' organizations do need to also get off their knees, and, and that's right. We've had a very sorry history of statutory patient organizations. We've now got a new one coming, Health Watch. Whether Health Watch is going to be any more effective than all the pre its predecessors, I don't know, but the, the, since the CHCs, actually, we've gone downhill. We've got a chance to go uphill, 
now um, if you seize that opportunity. I think there is still potential to improve the quality of care in the NHS and to engage patients and the public, and I hope we'll seize it. Well, Angela, thank you for that. Thank you all for declare. Can we show our appreciation?